Namaste. So today we take up uh, the practice of the Integral Yoga. Last time we did the principles of the Yoga of Self-Perfection. And today practice of the Yoga of Self-Perfection. Now when we speak about practices, uh, Shurabindo makes it very clear. We start from this idea of the spirit being involved in the mind. And therefore the practices are primarily psychological. These are not practices which, uh, I, I'll touch upon that. For example, in Pranayam, Shubhinda speaks of the Prana Shakti and he says, he says that when you do Pranayam, you do bring into your vital, a lot of vital energy which is otherwise not available to us. He says, but in this yoga we don't do it that way. And for the first time he gives a hint, how do we do it? Here it is done either by the pressure of the mind, the will or still greater by opening to the divine Shakti. So that is how it is done in this yoga. So the practices are primarily psychological. Last time we did read about the purification of the instruments, which is a fundamental necessity. And now he speaks about two, there are two chapters on liberation. So liberation of the soul and liberation of nature. So if we read about liberation, that is mukti in traditional yoga, uh, generally it is today, in today's context, understood as the that state after which you don't have to come back into the cycle of birth and rebirth and death. Obviously that is a very, very limited uh, thing and Shurabindu says very clearly that for this yoga, you have to renounce even this desire for personal liberation. Now many people feel, does it mean that we won't be liberated? No. <laughs> Here liberation means, one, freedom from ignorance. That is the fundamental, original Vedantic idea. But then this liberation is a negative liberation. We can take it like this, that uh, imagine there is um, gold or, uh, or gold is a good example. Gold is mixed with dust. So they bring it out. So what, what is liberation? You go, let it go through a process of purification. So you sieve it, you wash it, then you expose it to fire, then gold comes out. So what we have done? We have liberated gold from all the dust that was surrounding it. So the very act of purification leads to liberation in a certain sense. But then this liberation of gold which has come in its purity is not enough. Now... The full liberation of the gold would be that the gold must realize all its possibility to carve it. Say, a jeweler should be able to carve it into something very beautiful. We can take another example that liberation of a bird from a cage. You open the cage, you make the bird come out. But this is not enough. The bird must learn to fly. And it cannot fly so long as it is attached to the easily meal that is coming to it in the Jail. Even if you open it, it will go inside and eat it. It will remain bound to that. So, liberation here means four things. There are four important elements. One is liberation from the separative ego sense. This is, again, people feel that it means I won't have an individuality. Uh, as Shubhinda says, behind the ego individuality, which is a construct of nature... Ego is a construct of nature. Behind it, there is the true soul individuality. And he will speak about it in the other chapters. So, 
ego must go. There is no new creation, no real spiritual life with the ego. They are not consistent with each other. Even a sattvic ego is not, uh, it prepares us for spiritual life, but it is not enough. The second liberation is from the desire cell. Why? Because desire prevents the true will from emerging. The moment true will emerges, if there are desires, it will deflect it. It will divert the energy of the will, the tapas, in different channels. Take for example, somebody wants to take up this spiritual life as a one-pointed aspiration. Then there is a lure. He is getting an attractive, you know, post as a university professor. <laughs> so, with a good pay. So, one may be distracted in that direction. This desire can come in many subtle ways. As I said, university post where you are to teach, you know, philosophy of Shurbindo. Now, teaching philosophy of Shurbindo in a university post is all right at a certain stage. But when you have crossed that stage, then to go back to the world because there is money, because there is name and fame involved, that is where it can comes as a subtle lure. Not that one cannot teach, one should teach, but it should be a desireless action. It should be an emergence of the sabhava within, sodharma within, dedicated to the divine, done with a, in a disinterested way, in the sense, if tomorrow it is taken away, it is taken away. So all this is important when one undertakes an action. So desire tends to distract and take us uh, into different direction. So, freedom from desire is the second aspect of liberation. Then freedom from dwanda, the dualities. Dualities of pleasure and pain, good and evil, or good and bad, what a right and wrong. Now, again, this is a tricky ground. Because the vital and the mind can imitate these experiences. The vital can say, I am free from all dualities. I'll do whatever I feel like because there is no right and wrong. Now, this is not what is meant. What is meant is when we have gone beyond dualities, when we have regained the consciousness of unity, then we allow the divine to flow through us, act through us. Then we are not caught up in this. And the typical example is of Arjuna. So, Arjun on the battlefield, he was caught initially into the right and wrong of it. But at the command of Sri Krishna, he is ready to take up even the action which is regarded traditionally as ghore karma. If we weigh purely from a mental point of view, right or wrong, then just as Arjuna said, that well, this is something I should not be doing. Not only is he involved in the act of killing, but he is involved in killing his own kith and kin. For whose sake a Kshatriya apparently wages the war. His act of killing will involve the uh, decline of the uh, you know, many women who will lose their husbands and it will lead to a certain kind of decline in the cooler. And yet he must undertake that action because it is at the behest of the divine will. So rising above good and evil is not doing good and evil equally with impunity because there is no good and evil. It doesn't mean that. It means acting under the command of the divine. It means making the mind free of all these conceptions necessary at one stage But at another stage, one has to go beyond it. The fourth meaning of liberation is liberation from the three gunas. So that's what nistraya gunya. So when the soul is freed from all these four elements, ego, separative ego sense, the desire which distracts us, the dualities, and fourth is, of course, uh, from the three gunas which bind us, tie us, then it is liberated.
But then this liberation is not enough in this yoga. So the next liberation, which we, again, this where the yoga begins to part from the yoga of Gita, rather develop further from the yoga of the Gita. In the yoga of the Gita, Nistra Gunya, Sarva Sankalpa Sanyasi, Aparigraha, all these are wonderful states. But here, beyond it, is the liberation of nature. So what does it mean? Again, we have a divine nature, but it is again covered by the lower nature. That's how the Vedas describe it. And the lower nature means all these, the elements of Kama, Krodha, Raga, Dvesha, fear, all these things which are completely covering it. When we uncover it, then the true soul nature emerges as the Subhava and the Sudharma. And that, of course, we'll touch upon in the next few chapters. But then even beyond it, there is a still higher divine nature, Devi Prakriti. And that one has to embody. So liberation of nature also means number of things. One is that every instrument must be rightly adapted to receive and transmit the higher force without any kind of uh, you know um, fault, inability, incapacity. I, I remember a very interesting incident long back. Uh, someone said, I said I want to do mother's work. So anyways, so the person said something very interesting. Many interesting things I learned that time. But one of them was, says, you know, um, what the mother does and the person was he was talking about Vijay Bhai he was speaking about Navjaji Bhaiji he said Pitaji ko maane bataya tha. mother used to would tell him that you know it is like if you have the you are doing high jump so if you have a four feet height which you have to jump and you jump so the divine will not say oh very good very nice you rest he will raise the bar to five feet so this is how the nature begins to ascend towards higher possibilities. We don't even know now. We have very limited capacity to know, very limited capacity to love, very limited capacity even to live and enjoy. Our body again very soon is prone to fatigue. So all this nature has to be upgraded and um, it's not an escape like that's why many times five hours I am working now I am free to do whatever I feel like it doesn't work like that in fact there is more and more work because your capacity is increasing that's how the mother put it that she gives more and more work to those who are picked up by her chosen by her for the work and then elements of perfection there are four parts basically Shubhinda has used a particular type of term the understanding buddhi, the psychic prana, the, the life energy, the emotional being, the heart and the body. These are the four parts in us. And the best way to understand this part. Uh, many people, you know, go back to records of yoga and sapta chatus. This is just uh, getting distracted because sapta chatus is a program given to Sri Aurobindo. It is true that here we have the Sapta Chatushta, but given in practice for us. If you read, Sapta Chatushta is about what he was doing. But this is how we are supposed to practice. So there is a difference because he is cutting through the road, virgin forest. But the best to understand these elements of perfection is the mother's essay in Collected Works of the Mother, Volume 12, where she speaks about the four austerities and the four liberations. And there we see all these four parts coming into play. So there is the tapasya of knowledge, 
There is the tapasya of love, there is the tapasya of power and there is the tapasya of beauty. And it is connecting to all these four parts. So, right understanding, true understanding in the mind. So, mind must open to a greater light. That's the perfection of the mind. Right now, the mind is, um, you know, mixed with ignorance and knowledge and all kinds of things. Similarly, perfection of the heart would be True love should be able to manifest through the heart which is freed from all clogging by the dualities. Hate, jealousies, possessiveness, all these should go away. And the true sweetness of love should express through the heart. And then there is the tapasya of power which is about the psychic prana, the life impulse in us. So this means instead of running in the fields of desire or at the call of desire, the true will should emerge from within. And then the tapasya of the body, which is about tapasya of the beauty, which is about the body, which should be ideal in form, in in uh, its output of energies, in its ability to serve the divine, to serve the higher will. So this is the these are the main elements of perfection, and we can also connect it, it to the fourfold uh, powers of the divine mother. He will speak about it a little later. So we'll read this now. In this elements of perfection. There are three chapters devoted to equality. And if you read the Yoga of Divine Works, again we will see equality. If you read the Gita, equality. And so much so that if we go through, you know, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and Raj Yoga, equality is given so much importance. Samatva Yoga Uchchate. If we have arrived at equality, equality means what? We are freed from the Dwandas. Normally, the impact of um, the world creates certain reactions. These reactions are pleasure and pain, sense of success or failure, sorrow or joy, all these things. So this inequality deviates our action from the right course because we begin to automatically seek whatever will give us freedom from pain and give us pleasure. So, while this instinct is alright, nothing wrong with it, we are not supposed to seek pain, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> but at the same time, when the impact is painful, we have to train and teach these parts how to give the right response. So, equality is the first condition. And Shubhinda says very clearly, equality may not be needed in the yoga of knowledge. I mean, you need equality of the mind to, you know, thoughts, different kind of sights, aspects of the reality. And yet one can do away. Equality is, is not needed for the bhakta who is uh, remembering his deity, Devta, in a state of exaltation. But equality is needed for the karmi yogin and equality is needed for somebody who is on the path of Sri yoga because it is through equality that the divine consciousness can act. If there is no equality, there will be deviation of action. So there is importance on equality and these are three chapters, the action of equality, um, the perfection of equality, the way of equality, the action of equality. So perfection of equality is when none of these responses, there are two aspects of equality. One is that all these responses at the physical level, heat and cold, at the pranic level, uh, success and failure, victory and defeat, again, it does not mean we will seek defeat. It does not mean that since success doesn't matter, I'll do my work in a slipshod way. <laughs> it means that 
failure will not divert me from the course decreed. It means that I will not start doing things for any personal success in the sense of aggrandization. It is the divine work. I must do it well, want it to succeed. But if success does not come, there is a very beautiful poem of Shurabindu, the divine worker, where he says, Fortune is thy, victory is thy passage, mirrored through fortune's glass. Failure is cradled on thy deathless arms. So, failure comes, one does, it does not say, oh, I, am, I cannot do it. One does it if this is the kartabhyam karma. Similarly, if success comes, one doesn't get into that state, oh, it is my success, I have done it. He does not get into that state of egoistic aggrandizement. So, that's why equality in success and failure. Then similarly, at the level of the mind, there is a need for equality. Right now, if anybody has a contrary opinion, contrary way of life, we almost take him like an enemy in the mental field out here. So even if at the mental level there is a clash of ideas, it cannot be resolved in a state of inequality. One has to see the truth behind every idea. So this is about the, the way of equality, the perfection of equality. And this equality may start with the mind imposing itself on the body. First step is that the mind imposes itself on the body. And says, no, you are not on the heart, on the nervous system. This is not the response expected of you. And then this equality deepens from the mind into the deeper spiritual and um, ultimately supramental equality. The way of equality, Shubhinder says, three fundamental practices. One is endurance. So endurance is actually called as Sahana Shakti. The power to endure. It is so strange. When we endure things, we grow in power. When there are people who cannot endure, they become restless at the slightest uh, difficulty. So you can't do divine work if one gets, you know, restless at the slightest challenges, problems of life. So there is a um, endurance test which takes place. Like anybody, people go and want to climb a mountain. So you have to get a medical certificate that you are fit to climb. So if you want to enroll for military and you want to go into the combat list, you have to go through that endurance test. Even in non-fighting arms in the army, so we had to go through that basic medical test. Are you ready and fit? Can you undertake this venture? If you cannot, then life is there. It's not that you are a faulty person. <laughs> it's just that one is not yet ready for the greater spiritual life. And the sign of equality is a growing calm and peace when in the face of adverse circumstances. It is very easy to be calm and happy when everything is fine. But very difficult and that's the beauty of when we see Kunti's life. Kunti is one of the Prata Smarniya. And how she is able to endure all these things and you know, keep her calm. To that extent that when uh, her jet, what is Husband's elder brother, he and his wife are going to the forest. She says, I will go with them. I must take care of them. She doesn't say, oh, these are the people who created all this ruckus. Now I am an empress. So she stays with dharma throughout. Something very marvelous. She stays with dharma. She says, okay, fine, they did a dharma. They have gone through that consequence. But there is no personal enmity. Is something amazing. 
So, when we have the way of equality, first is endurance, to learn to endure the touches and contacts that life gives us. And the second method of equality is indifference. So, indifference is, uh, you don't care. Now, this don't care is not carelessness. Carelessness is you are going in your own thing. <laughs> but, Things come, but you are indifferent. Somebody says something to you which is hurtful. You don't get into an argument, start doing things. You ignore it. Upeksha. So first is titiksha. Titiksha is endurance. Like the stoics. Endurance, you take the impacts. You don't run away from impact. But you bear it. Titiksha. Second is upeksha. Bacha hai. Ya hai. It doesn't matter. So, Upeksha. And the third is Nati. Nati is submission. Submission to God's will. If such be the will, I accept that. And to go through life uh, in a state of resignation to the divine will. It is not resignation to circumstances. It is resignation to the divine will. Knowing that behind everything, there is God's will which is operating, which I do not know. And when we have perfected it, then the action of equality begins. Meaning thereby now we do not initiate any egoistic impulsion. Why want to do this? Why want to eat this? No, all that has to be mastered. When tasty dish comes, we don't say like the ascetics, no, 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 I don't want this. You are equal. You take that rasa. And when something is without salt, you take also the rasa of that. Shubindo's that story several times. We have, he describes how he used to get lufsi in the jail. Three types of lufsi. Lufsi is what? It's like a kichudi, but kichudi without the kichudi. <laughs> you mix rice and dal. Sometimes there is no dal in it. And he said it's like pure Brahman, white. When there is dal in it, then he says it's like the hiranyame. And when there is dal and sabji it is, sabji in it. Then he says it has taken the hue of this entire creation. Prakriti Brahman has become like Maya. So this was, this is the way that you know we learn to accept things. Uh, again, this acceptance is the first stage towards a divine action. Many people feel that, no, 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 if I accept it, how can I do that? Injustice has been done. Well, you can engage. There is nothing wrong in that. But if you practice equality... Then you will be able to see the divine play much better. So what happens when you are above dualities? You are beyond knowledge and ignorance. But you see the knowledge which is imprisoned in ignorance and trying to rescue it out. You will see behind hatred a kind of love which is hidden. Isn't it true? Who hates? Who loves? If somebody doesn't love, the person will not even care to hate. The person will just walk by your side. Then you begin to see this love which is imprisoned, trying to emerge. Then you will see behind desires a will which has taken a perverted form. So then when one is freed from the clutch of lower nature, then a greater will begins to take hold of the instruments and that's when a greater consciousness begins to act through us. So this is the action of equality. The power of the instruments, so each instrument has its own capacity, its own power and it must be raised to that level. Virya, which means 
it must be lifted. Mind, even human mind is capable of so many things. Imagine Swami Vivekananda, even Shurabindo's life, how they could memorize at one go. Shurabindo's life, that they were playing cards and Shurabindo was sitting by the side reading something, some book. And then he finished and kept it on the table. And then Charu Chandra says, Oh, you have read? Uh, what they used to call him, Chief. Chief, you have read it? Yes. Seriously? Yes. Do you remember? Yes. Randomly they open a page and say, Okay, tell us first few words. Shubhinder recounted the whole page. So this is the human capacity which can be uplifted. Capacity to love. One of the things which I feel... Uh, which sometimes is missing in today's generation, which is very fast food, easy, um, quick things, is this uh, sense, capacity to develop these instruments. And that's where um, this talk about AI, that we should be very careful. All that is fine, what it can give, but equally we should see what it can rob and take away. So it is like, you know, when you get those messages on WhatsApp, 5 crore will be deposited in your account. (laughs) And you end up finding whatever was there has been gone. (laughs) So we should be very careful because human instrument, when they are not exercising, they will not grow. So first they should be developed. Virya. That's what virya means. The spiritual force within everything. And then when it is life energy, it should be able to give an output Without tiring. See, we see a prime minister, two and a half hours sleep, how do you manage? That's called virya, when you don't allow it to be degenerated into all kinds of useless activities. Virias. And then there is, beyond it, you have their shakti. So, that instrument is not only having force, but it is lifted to its maximum possibility. And then when you go beyond it, then there is Daivi Prakriti, which is the fourfold personality, we will speak about it. And then beyond the Daivi Prakriti, he says Shraddha. These are the four things that must be perfected. Power of the instruments. And each of them, Shivindo describes beautifully in the chapter. We are just naturally going through in a nutshell. The soul force and the fourfold personality. This, of course, we need not go into detail, but this is about the, the Chatur Varni that at one time was practiced. It had nothing to do with birth and surname. Pandey did not mean Brahmin, but there is a power of knowledge through which the soul expresses itself. Then there is the power of strength manifesting in the Kshatriya. Then there is a power of mutuality which binds things into a beautiful and harmonious concord. The Vaishya Shakti. And then there is the power which comes through service. The Shudra Shakti. Prema Shakti. Seva Shakti. All these are different things and the soul advances through all of them. Taking one life to another, it absorbs these powers, expresses itself, stations itself now in one, now in another. And that is how it grows and progresses. So all these must begin to manifest and each of these powers must be taken to its ultimate um, possibility, which is where one develops what can be called as God-like humanity, not yet divine humanity. So, you know, it becomes a Deva Manav, not Divya Manav. So there are people who are like Deva Manav, in terms of knowledge, like Deva Manav. Strength, extraordinary, Deva Manav. In the capacity for 
whether we call it business or in the, even the capacity, genius of love. So that becomes a devamana, service, seva, perfection of every detail when you make something. So that is a devamana. And this devamana is now ready for divyamana. So when we do this, arrive at this perfection, then the secret soul begins to emerge. Now the ground is ready. Now soul is beyond all this. But yet these are the stages through which one goes. And then when we have done that, finally now Shivinda brings us to the divine shakti. So behind this, all this is nature is being lifted to ultimate levels. But there is nature itself is derived from something higher than nature. This is something we find uh, in a sense unique in Shurabindu's thought. And um, there is the mention in the Gita and of course we don't want to go into that. But they are mentioned. For instance, the Gita speaks about Paraprakriti Jiva Bhuta. There is a Paraprakriti which is the nature of the divine. Right now we don't have nature of the divine. We have human nature largely struggling with the animal parts. We can free it of the clutch of the animal parts, lift it to a sattvic kind of humanity or we can lift it to the nature of the gods. But even that is not the divine nature. So this Paraprakriti is the origin of this Prakriti. And we have to open to that Shakti and then it begins to transform Sattva into Normally it is Sukham and Prakasham, but a divine state of divine felicity in all circumstances and the true wisdom. So then it becomes Sattva is transformed, Sattvagun. Rajagun is transformed into the action of the pure consciousness force, which knows what is to be done, how to do it and does it. That's divine consciousness force. It doesn't have to struggle. And then of course, Tamas must change into a self-existent peace and immobility. So these are the immobility, not the way we understand. Ajgar ki tarah. But there is a beautiful line from Savitri which last few days has been coming repeatedly uh, as a kind of guidance. Uh, two lines which are very beautiful. One line which has been coming is a wide unshaken look on time's unrest. Even if there was going to be pralaya, oh my God, what's going to happen? Wide, unshaken look. That is inner immobility. You know, like Yagnavalk, when fire, he's told, oh, this is happening, that is happening. He says, I am at the feet of my master. My master will take care. That, you know, state of a wide, unshaken look on times and rest. Another line, which was one of Amal Kiran's favorite I believe, force one with unimaginable rest. They are not two contradictory things. They can go together. So this is the divine shakti and the action of the divine shakti which transforms our human nature into divine nature and finally comes faith and shakti. The ultimate practice rests on faith and aspiration. Shivinda uses the word Aspiration here uses the word sankalp. It should not be your personal desire, but a persistent sankalp. And how will we do it if we cannot endure, if we have not the equality? The moment there is a little defeat and disappointment, one will run away. That's why faith is important. Utmost importance Shirobindra is given to faith just like the Gita. Gita says, the man is his faith. If you want to know where a man will reach, 
Don't see his present circumstances. All that is, he has reached here because of whatever past. But just see where he wants to go and does he have the faith to go through the entire thing? No, yoga is easy. Least of all this yoga. And people often say, oh, yoga is difficult. So I ask them, is life easy? <laughs> just, <laughs> is normal life easy? In fact, yoga is the way to bring us out of this zone of turbulence and storm and difficulty into something much greater and beautiful. Even normal life is not easy. Whoever said that life is easy? Even to a person with all the money and all the luxury at his disposal, still life is not easy. Because this may provide him ease of outer living to the body. But there are so many other aspects. There is the heart, there is the desired self, there is the ambition. There is, of course, the intellectual mind, you see, which wants one particular thinking to be stamped upon the world. So, yoga is the way to bring us out of it. And naturally, it requires labor and effort. That effort doesn't come easily to human nature. But then, instead of labor and effort which we are engaged in right now ignorantly, in which we keep moving horizontally in a cycle where we feel, ah, now life is very good, then we are back to that. Ah, now life is very good. <laughs> like in Savitri, a, a dim circle of wants and needs, that's how life moves. A slow, long preparation is man's life. But in yoga, this circle, this effort, slowly takes us out of this zone. So we'll, this is what, beyond it, Shubhita speaks about the nature of the supermind, gradations of the supermind, which we need not enter into. Anyways, in the live divine classes, this has been done. So here we'll just touch upon these, some of these topics. And as uh, always, we'll read something from Shubhita from these chapters. So, So he speaks about, I mean, as I said, it's beautiful chapters and I think any summary can never do justice. So, But this is just to taste the flavor so that we can go back to reading the synthesis and get all the delight. So this spiritual seed or beginning of desire to, what is this spiritual seed he is speaking about? Mumukshat, I want to be mukta, free. Of course, there is a kind of totally misunderstood freedom. That nobody has any control over me. I will do what I feel like, which is obviously not freedom. It doesn't require much thought to understand that you are not free, but a slave to all the forces. But here he is speaking of genuinely those who are striving. If you ask them why you are striving, I want to have moksha. He's talking about them. This spiritual seed or beginning of desire too must be expelled, renounced, cast away. The sadhak must either choose an active peace and complete inner silence or lose individual initiation, sankalp arambha, in a unity with the universal will, the tapas of the divine shakti. So the liberation is such a liberation where all personal initiation driven by ego and desire, that goes away. And sankalp arambha is by the divine shakti. She initiates. The passive way so he's telling us two ways. The passive way is to be inwardly immobile without effort, wish, expectation or any turn to action. Nishchesta aneha 
Nirapeksha Nivrata. This one way, that one sits, you know, immobile. Unless there is the urge. But most people take this immobile peace to be the ultimate. But he gives us the other way, the active way. Is to be thus immobile and impersonal in the mind. But to allow the supreme will in its spiritual purity to act through the purified instruments. This is what we see in the way of the Gita. So it's not like sitting in immobility and meditation for hours and taking it. Yes, that is a path, those who want to take it. But again, we can see the distinction between sannyas and tyaga. In tyaga, you inwardly renounce things. There is an inner impersonality and peace in the mind, but the divine will act in its full purity. And then there is another... The way proposed for the integral yoga is a lifting up and surrender of the whole being to him. Uh, this him is replaced by her, regardless of whatever, you know, the latest him, her, it, they are all same. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's okay, we can use the word. But to the Divine Mother. By which not only do we become one with him in our spiritual existence, but dwell too in him and he in us. So that the whole nature is full of his presence and changed into the divine nature. And this has to be done persistently in every activity, in every detail. Before, when we wake up in the morning, when we sleep at night, when we start a work, when we end a work. In between every activity, whether it be eating, um, resting, going out, um, whatever activity we may be doing. To offer it and surrender it to the divine with an aspiration that may the divine will be accomplished through it. And every time desire comes from this side and that side to allow the mind to control it, to call for the divine peace. So this is the path that Sri is recommending us. This integral liberation from the ego into the divine spirit and nature can only be relatively complete on a present level. So uh, normally what we do when we talk about liberation from ego, we start working up, oh this was egoism, so I will not do this. Oh, that was egoism. Now the mind will start playing. And it is true. Where is there not egoism in separative human consciousness? We cannot get rid of it without surrender to the divine. Because any other way when we try, we can get rid of egoism. That's okay. That is a crude form. But ego sense is a separative ego sense. It can even, I am an instrument of God. Even that it can lead to I am a doer of divine works. So it can chase us right up to that level. Even where one becomes an instrument actually of the divine. And Shubhendu says that's what happened. So what happened to Napoleon? He was a divine instrument. In the beginning he felt a divine force or a greater force moving him. But later on he thought it, he has appropriated that force. So he says the moment he started saying I am France and France is me. Kali broke him and he was cast aside. So, instead of that, to keep surrendering. It is you, it is you. It all belongs to you. Everything is yours. And to feel it inside, this is not something to be talked about and told. The integral liberation comes when this passion for release, Mumukshatva, founded on distaste or vairagya is itself transcended. 
Mother said in this yoga there is no place for renunciation the way we understand it. If you are still attracted to the world and you want to renounce it, that's not a good starting point. So, Vairagya. Shrivinda at one place says that I was I never had a great attraction for this ideal of Vairagya. Where people will not touch money, they will leave, you know, they will sleep on the ground. That's not the ideal of this yoga. Even this is transcended. The soul is then liberated. Both from attachment to the lower action of nature and from all repugnance to the cosmic action of the divine. Because when we are freed from this desire for freedom, then we are ready for the cosmic action. Lok Sangraharth of the Gita. Otherwise, we cut the knot abruptly and we, we make it liberated. I mean, there are people. But it's not the utter liberation into the cosmic and transcendent divine. It's just that limited freedom where the soul merges. But the cosmic work is not done. The first necessity is some fundamental poise of the soul, both in its essential and its natural being, regarding and meeting the things, impacts and workings of nature. This poise we shall arrive at by growing into a perfect equality samta. Life is never meant to be all, God is not sitting out there to only make things pleasant for us. For that we have the business industry to try to give us more and more comfort. But the divine very often snatches away the comfort. Look at Pandavas. So, but yet they are the favorite of the divine. So this idea that you know, Seeking for pleasure as if the divine is meant only to make life easy for us. Why should he? He wants us to grow into his fullness. The next necessity of perfection is to raise all the active parts of the human nature to that highest condition and working pitch of their power and capacity, Shakti, at which they become capable of being divinized into true instruments of the free, perfect, spiritual and divine action. It means that human beings have to even develop these instruments. Right now even they are undeveloped. So we can put it like this, that you don't offer an unblossomed flower to the divine. You know, it's a kali ko nahi dete hai. Jaise murjaya phul nahi dete hai. You know, you don't offer to the divine a flower which has gone dry. Equally you don't, I mean, one can offer everything, but in the certain sense, equally you don't offer a flower which has not yet bloomed. So allow this instrument to develop. A lot of studies and everything is simply to develop the instrument. For instance, when we read Shurabindu, it develops the instrument, it develops the mind, makes it impersonal, wide, universal. It makes the intelligence receptive to the divine intelligence. So this is how people often ask. Artificial intelligence of course is being created by scientists. What about divine intelligence? Read Shurabindu. Mother actually said, you want to develop your intelligence? Read Shurabindu. <laughs> so you'll see how he brings in diverse thoughts and from what level it's like a Mahaganga. Maybe in the beginning we can't stand below it like Niagara but even if the few Swalpamasa Dharmasya even if a few drops come that is so soothing and refreshing. One day probably we will be able to stand like Shiva and Bhagirath and receive the Ganges full impact. So reading Shurabindo. 
also there is a dynamic force in us dynamical force in us virya of the temperament character and soul nature swabhava which makes the power of our members effective in action this has to be freed from its limitations what happens say for instance a kshatriya meant for great deeds but he may use this capacity only to fight some local battles so virya will not develop true kshatriyas are very calm they are not violent people but when called for action they can act in the best possible way that is what one learns in military what is the difference between military and a rogue fight rogues are meant to just fight violent take out gatta and start shooting but a military man is very composed very stable but if called upon to fight he can take on the challenge so this is the difference because virya has to be developed in this way to divinize the perfect nature we have to call in the divine power or shakti to replace our limited human energy and this called in is by constant offering so that this may be shaped into the image of and filled with the force of a greater infinite energy devi prakriti bhagavati shakti so whatever be the capacities given to us everything we should offer to the divine and serve the divine through that in simple words by that action slowly at some point the divine begins to pour say okay fine i take you for a long time divine will wait because we may break down that's why all this equality and all is required because ashwinda says in the synthesis in these chapters only he says the mind may break down under the influx the heart may break down all kinds of chaotic things may happen so he allows he waits how sincere we are and then a time come when he say okay now this is my bandar when then divine takes hold of his own monkey then it becomes hanuman that is the difference not every monkey can become hanuman so, so this is where the difference is to hand over oneself to rama and say you nachao me then after some time he will take and then life grows beautiful <laughs> so then is uh, of course perfect equality we spoke about it wise impersonality uh, equiescent equality a universality which sees all things as the manifestations of the divine even behind the distorted appearances even behind desire yesterday that question was there or before is you will see what is trying to really emerge you throw away hatred but you don't throw the baby with the bath water you see that love is expressing itself in a distorted way behind every opinion you are able to see the truth but you see what is the present truth in manifestation what should be presented behind even imperialism empires dictatorship you will see the truth behind all of them and then you know that what is the truth of the moment so all that comes to it from the world with meanness or with solicitation it will refer to the higher principles to a reason and heart in touch with or changed by the light and calm joy of the spirit thus quieted mastered by the spirit and no longer trying to impose its own mastery this life soul will be itself spiritualized there is no question here of an ascetic killing of the life impulse and its 
native utilities and functions including power and joy which is what life seeks it's not an asceticism which kills it but liberates it into a greater possibility the function of the prana is enjoyment but the real enjoyment of existence is an inward spiritual ananda not partial and troubled like that of our vital emotional or mental pleasure degraded as they are now by the predominance of the physical mind similarly possession is its function by possession comes the soul's enjoyment of things how will it going to enjoy if it says i have nothing to do but now he says a thing but this is the real possession a thing large and inward not dependent on the outward seizing which makes us subject to what we seize when we try to seize things outwardly this is mine actually we become that we become a slave but when we possess and take the joy but without this outer act then there is the true soul of ananda which come all outward possession and enjoyment will be only an occasion of a satisfied and equal play of the spiritual ananda with the forms and phenomenon of its own world being tene taktene bhunjita magrida kasisuddhanam that's the truth he is revealing oh he actually writes taktene bhunjita a free heart is similarly a heart delivered from the gust and storms of the affections and the passions the assailing touch of grief wrath hatred fear inequality of love trouble of joy pain of sorrow fall away from the equal heart and leave it a thing large calm equal luminous divine so does it mean that we will not love no we will love with a much deeper in this perfection too he is speaking about the heart there is no question of a severe ascetic insensibility we will be at loggerheads with everybody we will not smile we will not look we will not you know because i may get attached and bound that's an imperfection incapacity or a strained rugged austerity of self separation this is not a killing of the emotional nature but a transformation all that presents itself here in our outward nature in perverse or, or imperfect forms has a significance and utility which come out when we get back to the greater truth of divine being this is what is meant by you know all is the divine so then one begins to see the greater divine which is trying to emerge but getting distorted in the play love will not be destroyed love will be not destroyed but perfected enlarged to its widest capacity deepened to its widest capacity deepened to its spiritual rapture the love of god the love of man the love of all things as ourselves and as beings and powers of the divine a large universal love not at all incapable of various relation it will be capable of the different kinds of relations will replace the claimant egoistic self regarding love of little joys and griefs and insistent demands afflicted with all the checkered pattern of angers and jealousies and satisfactions rushing to unity and movements of fatigue divorce and separation on which we now place so high a value grief will cease to exist but a universal and equal love so this is how he continues and uh, i'll just skip these passages toward the end 
This soul faith in some form of itself is indispensable to the action of the being and without it man cannot move a single pace in life, much less take any step forward. It is so central and essential a thing that the Gita can justly say of it that whatever is a man's shraddha, that he is. Yo yashraddha sa evasha. And it may be added, whatever he has the faith to see as possible in himself and strive for, that he can create and become. There is one kind of faith demanded as indispensable by the integral yoga. And that may be described as faith in God and the Shakti. Faith in the presence and power of the divine in us and the world. A faith that all in the world is the working of one divine Shakti. That all the steps of the yoga, its strivings and sufferings and failures, as well as its successes and satisfactions and victories and utilities and necessities of our workings, and that by a firm and strong dependence on and a total self-surrender to the divine and to his Shakti in us, we can attain to oneness and freedom and victory and perfection. Our faith must be abiding in the essential truth and principles of the yoga. And even if this is clouded in the intellect, despondent in the heart, outwearied and exhausted by constant denial and failure in the desire of the vital mind, there must be something in the innermost soul which clings and returns to it. Otherwise, we may fall on the path or abandon. The real fall of the path is this. To abandon the faith, abandon the aspiration. All else is the journey up and down. In the yoga, as in life, it is the man who persists unwearied to the last in the face of every defeat and disillusionment and of all confronting, hostile and contradicting events and powers who conquers in the end and finds his faith justified because to the soul and Shakti in man, nothing is impossible. These are Mahavakyas to be asked in the soul. And even a blind and ignorant faith is a better position than the skeptical doubt which turns its back on our spiritual possibility. And he says there will be possibly be many of those trying obscurations of which even the Vedic Rishis so often complain. Long exiles from the light. From the light. And these may be so thick, the night on the soul may be so black that faith may seem utterly to have left us. But through it all, the spirit within will be keeping its unseen hold and the soul will return with a new strength. This chapter on faith and the divine Shakti is a must, must, must read. It sort of gives us the real thing which is needed. Shubhinder used the word Kalyan Shraddha. All will be well. Because to the divine and the Shakti, nothing is impossible. It doesn't mean fulfillment of desires, of course, but well in the ultimate good is bound to emerge. And so he says, this faith is the important thing. And now we'll close with, you see, uh, the four aspects, how Shubhindu describes here. This much before the mother is written. The mother in 1927 Finally printed, comes in 1928. But this is synthesis of yoga. So what does he say? There is nothing that is impossible to her who is the conscious power and universal goddess 
all creative from eternity and armed with the spirit's omnipotence all knowledge all strengths all triumph and victory all skill and works are in her hands and they are full of the treasures of the spirit and of all perfections and siddhis she is maheshwari goddess of the supreme knowledge and brings to us her vision for all kinds and widenesses of truth her rectitude of the spiritual will the calm and passion of her supramental largeness her felicity of illumination so is described maheshwari here in a very uh, interesting way beautiful way she is mahakali so <laughs> goddess of the supreme strength and with her are all mights and spiritual force and severest austerity of tapas she does the tapas in us makes us do it and swiftness to the battle and the victory and the laughter the attahasya that makes light of defeat and death and the powers of the ignorance because she is never afraid never worried even if there are a million goblin obstacles a man who is driven by the force of mahakali does not care he fights she is mahalakshmi the goddess of the supreme love and delight and her gifts are the spirit's grace and the charm and beauty of the ananda and protection and every divine and human blessing she is mahasaraswati the goddess of divine skill and the works of the spirit and hers is the yoga that is skill in works yogah karmasu kaushalam and the utilities of divine knowledge and the self application of the spirit to life and the happiness of its harmonies and in all her powers and forms she carries with her the supreme sense of the masteries of the eternal ishwari a rapid and divine capacity for all kinds of actions that may be demanded from the instrument oneness a participating sympathy a free identity with all energies in all beings and therefore a spontaneous and fruitful harmony with all the divine will in the universe so this is where we can say that uh, rest of the books elaborate and close with this point self surrender to the divine and infinite mother and later on it shobindo repeatedly says open to the mother be receptive to her know that the mother loves you base your life on this one single truth the mother loves you thank you